I'm Lauren. And I'm Austin. We are an interracial couple raising a biracial daughter and have regular conversations about the value of our different experiences and how we want to raise our child. We believe that God made people of different ethnicities for His glory alone. But like many other things, sin corrupts. We have made a mockery out of what God meant to be good. And in comes racism, a very real problem plaguing our hearts and minds and therefore invading systems of this world. So we decided to hit the record button as we discuss race, division, unity, and how to live a life in opposition to this sin specifically. We hope you'll join us as we dive headfirst into current topics, discuss ways to live a life against racism, and ultimately seek on earth as it is in heaven, a place that will be filled with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. You're listening to Grace and Race, a podcast about practicing anti-racism and promoting unity in families and communities. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our podcast. I am Lauren Groves. I'm Austin Groves. And we are sitting in our closet after our baby's bedtime right now. Hey. Just kind of hanging out and chatting. Yeah, know that is. We got to talking a couple weeks ago, maybe, and we're just having a lot of conversations in our family right now. And after this summer, the summer was summer of 2020, with the kind of new civil rights movement that popped up and COVID and everything, we're having a lot of conversations about what it looks like to be anti-racist as a family specifically an interracial family, but also what it can look like for others. So we just decided to start recording these conversations and then sharing them with you guys. Yeah. And and just to give you the dynamics, I'm Austin, black male, and my wife's Lauren, white female. We actually have a little girl, Eden, right? Uh, we're, we love her so much. And we actually have a little boy on the way as well. So... We do have a family that's growing, and we don't want to shy away from these issues, especially as believers. Yeah, for sure. So this first episode, we're going to be kind of diving into some of the basics about what is anti-racism. And to do that, we kind of have to start with a few definitions. I think one thing that I want to just make really clear as we're having this conversation is the definition of racism and anti-racism and all of the things that we're going to be talking about, we're not necessarily talking about a textbook, what you're going to find on dictionary.com or in Merriam-Webster kind of definition. Um, we're talking a little bit more about applied definitions. What does it look like? What are these things as they exist? So we would love to hear your all's thoughts about some of these things that we're talking about, um, whether you agree or disagree. Please feel free to reach out to us. I'm on Instagram, Lauren, two underscores, Groves. And Austin is also on Instagram. He's Groves8070. We love these conversations. We want to continue to have them with you. And yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. That's that's exactly what we're doing. Awesome. All right, so let's kind of start off. I'm going to be asking Austin some questions, and then we're just going to be having conversations back and forth. So, Austin, how would you define racism? Not just in our context, but more of just a general word. Oh, just generally speaking? Mm -hmm. Like, no, okay, with no context, generally speaking, racism is looking down upon a specific group 
um, in hopes of, so like a racial group. So you're looking down on a racial group outside of yourself. You want that group um, that you're looking down upon to receive less, I guess, resources or betterment or treatment. It can be small. It can be large. Racism also is putting your group as the highest, meaning you don't want um, anyone above. So it's not really focused on what other groups against you. It's, it's not your racial group. So you want yours to be excelling over anybody else's um, at any at any time, at any cost. So I think from a broad sense, a global sense, that's what I would say. That's what I felt um, as a little kid growing up. And then just seeing that played out as an adult, that's what I would say a broad sense of racism is. So racism can, in general, kind of exist anywhere. Yes. In a global sense, yes. Racism can be found literally anywhere on right. earth. So that's really important, I think, to think about. But also, we are not everywhere on earth. We are two people right now who are living in America in 2020. Specifically Tennessee. Yeah. Yep. So the South, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of conversations and questions about how we define racism specifically in our context. So, Austin, my next question is, do you think that there's a case for defining American racism separately? Yes, there has to be a case. If you're trying to be effective in reaching people and communicating with people, context is so important. And we do it all the time, right? Let's just not even talk. Don't even talk about race. Context matters. You know, if you love calling your wife babe and she loves hearing you say the word babe, you know, you're going to use that word for her. If someone walks by another girl, you say, what's up, babe? You know, your wife will know that word is for me. That word is for her. Right. And you'll feel uncomfortable. It's because of context. It's not the word babe. That wasn't the word. That wasn't the issue. <laughs> you, you say it all the time. It's, that's not the problem. It's the context. It feels off. It feels wrong. So when you ignore context and race, you're asking for trouble. You're asking for like for ignorance to reign supreme. You're asking for issues to not be resolved because you're not leaning in. I think you have to have a case uh, for racism in different contexts. Like racism in uh, like Rwanda is different than racism here in the U.S. And we even said it, like not just the U.S., we talked about being in Tennessee specifically, where Confederacy reigns supreme in a lot of areas. So you have to have a case for context when you talk about racism. So then what is racism in America? Racism, see, racism in America is white supremacy. And that's hard for people to hear, but that is the first sin, if you will. That is what is makes America unique and that's what America struggle with when you look at how the law right how laws were bent against people of color specifically black people right who was treated as property instead of people treated as property when you look at that black people didn't even have the privilege of being racist I mean you were property so if a piece of property is treating you unfairly, do you think you're going to take that? No. I mean, we heard stories in the 50s, the 60s, black kids whistling at white women, possibly talking back. 
and getting hung in a tree, getting beaten, getting killed, being maimed. So this idea that racism is our problem, like generally, it's un, it's ignoring the history. White supremacy is the issue. We have to tackle white supremacy before we can go on any other forms of racism, uh, which all should be denounced. Mm-hmm. But you have to be honest with yourself and say, man, that's what really started this mess. And a lot, a lot of times that's what's keeping it going. Okay, so... I think where my mind goes whenever we're having this conversation about racism in America and white supremacy, where my mind naturally goes is, okay, so if racism in America is white supremacy, is it possible for there to be other types of racism also in America? So example, so is it possible for two people who are of different races but not white to have racism in their hearts against one another. Oh, for sure. So like I like I think this might be controversial, but this is my understanding. Racism, the way that America has birthed it is white supremacy in my mind, and I think you can make really big efforts with crossing racial boundaries when you tackle it that way. Like, you will actually bring black people closer to you that don't think like you when you are willing to admit that white supremacy is what reigns supreme. So one thing that also comes to my mind is being able to address racial prejudice from anybody else. Racism is more of power-oriented, accountability, you know, big things. So, for example, I think about the black kids who might beat up a white kid at a school, right? Because he's white. That is racial prejudice. That is wrong. That needs to be handled. Mm -hmm. But you know what's tough? The principal's white. And the the board members, they're white. And you know what? They're going to make an example out of these black kids. Actually kick them out. Actually, no, not kick them out. They're going to call the cops. Have y'all heard of school to prison pipeline? They'll call the cops. Now these kids, instead of being taught that was wrong, this is wrong, it's, okay, you had enough. We're going to put you in juvie. We're going to put you in the, the prison system. And now they're gone away. And they could have been mad at this white boy for stories that they heard from their mom about getting spit on and having rocks thrown at them hmm. because they try to go to the same school. So I don't want to say when we put racism all in the same bucket, you're ignoring context. So those black boys in that situation would be dead wrong wrong period needs to be addressed but racism knowing that the higher you get in the positions of power there's going to be less and less black faces that matters and you you can't be naive to think that it doesn't so just a little bit of a personal aside i think that really kind of opened my mind to what a lot of people were talking about whenever they talked about racism but it felt more specific, right? It felt like I'm, I'm specifically talking about whenever I was maybe in college, kind of beginning this journey of, of learning what it meant to be anti-racist. I had a hard time with the definition of racism as my friends were defining it, Austin, even as you were defining it, because in my mind, especially having grown up not had to think very, having to think very much about race yeah. racism wasn't something that was specific to america yeah. and that is crazy 
Because, and again, like Austin said, racism exists everywhere. So another side note, Austin and I are Christians. We operate um, in a biblical worldview. And that rests behind everything we believe. And so I understand that there are totally going to be people who are Christians and who are not Christians who are listening to this, but um, there are going to be times whenever we kind of step aside and talk a little bit about how we're understanding these things through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of the Bible. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to kind of put that out there before I, I move along. But as believers, as Christians, we believe that we are all sinful and we believe that we are all prone toward pride and pride and prejudice did not mean as a call out to the book, but seriously, Mm. we are, we are all bent toward pride and prejudice. So I kind of took that truth and said, well, everyone is a sinner. Everybody is bent toward pride. So why are white people being called out really specifically? Mm. And I think a lot of where that came from and we'll get into this in, in further episodes, but I think a lot of where that came from is not being taught the true history of our country. Yeah. Oh, for sure. When you're, when you're taught it's a 50-50 playing field, mm-hmm. that it's an even playing field, that makes so much sense. I've never heard that phrase that way. Like, of course you're going to feel targeted because you've been taught it's 50-50. It's always been equal. Mm-hmm. Well, not always, but we fixed that in the 60s. One stroke of a pen and everything got better magically. That's what if that's what you're taught, then you're gonna think, oh, well, if I'm getting called out, it should be fifty percent. I should hear black people be getting called out fifty percent. I should hear Hispanics being called out fifty percent. I should hear everybody getting called out halfway, right? But you're right. Once you realize the actual history, you're like, ooh, ooh, that hurts, and and you start to realize, dang, maybe that fifty percent narrative, maybe that was a hope and a dream. But that doesn't make it reality. Hey guys, we're so glad that you're sticking around for this episode and hope you're enjoying it so far. One of the most common questions we get anytime there's a big racism recognition moment in our culture is, okay, I see it now, but what do I do? Where do I start? Our answer, somewhere. That's right. We created a 10 point PDF guide called Start Somewhere that we would love for you to grab. All you have to do is go to www.laurengroves.me and on the top menu, you'll find a tab that says Biblical Racial Reconciliation Guide. Click that, insert your email, and you will receive the guide in your email almost immediately. Start Somewhere is just that, a starting place. But in a short PDF guide, we'll give you podcast recommendations, our best book list, documentaries to watch, conversations to start, and just a little education on the origins of racism in America. Most importantly, we help you understand that fighting for unity in the subject of race in America should not be a political issue because it's a biblical one. So one more time, go to www.orangroves.me and on the top menu, You'll find a tab that says Biblical Racial Reconciliation Guide. Click that, insert your email, and start somewhere. Yeah, so let's dig into that history just a little bit for a second. 
So in my history classes, whenever I was growing up, I don't know if this resonates with you, Austin, but I remember specifically U.S. history classes were, there were all of these chapters about how America came to be, about the different wars that we were part of, about inventors, about, you know, all of the positive things about American life. And there was always this one chapter kind of toward the end of the book that was about, in one chapter, (laughs) there was slavery and civil rights. Mm. In one chapter. And so in my mind, growing up, that was simply a small chapter of American history. Mm. And Austin, will you just remind me how long slavery lasted in America? Well, we had the first slaves coming to North America as we know it. It's documented at 1619. Mm. That was before America was even a nation. See, we were funneling free property because you got to realize we weren't just hating. Like I say we because I am American, right? So white Americans weren't just hating black people, being mean to black people. They had intentional purposes, which was to make money, (laughs) right? And that's where the love of money, y'all probably heard, is the root to many evils. It's the greed. Jesus actually talks about you can't love me and money at the same time because you're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. And guess which one you is the one you're hating? Me. Um. So let's be real here. A lot of this is economics. Capitalizing. Y'all like capitalism? Capitalizing on black bodies, right? Holding them as capital. And so because of that, 1619, we didn't get to what, 1865? Was that when it was, I think, the stroke of the pen of uh, emancipation? So we know that's not even true as far as how many people were actually freed. That was just the decree that slaves needed to be freed. That's what that was. It was like, hey, y'all, we need, y'all need to let them go immediately. You think that actually happened? No. Um, For some, but not for all. So it was like around 60, I'm pretty sure it was around 65 um and that's scary because that means from 1619 that's over what just in that span over 200 years where you could be a law-abiding citizen you could be a man of god a man of faith you could be a organizer a judge in the jury a lawyer you could be some of the highest points and you could discriminate hate hurt or even kill black people and it wasn't owned i mean and it wasn't against the law it the law backed you up for 200 years do you know how that's gonna mess your mind up you know how that's gonna mess up your heart towards people you're literally gonna see people as property like there's no way around that so austin can i cut you real quick and ask a question so whenever you say you're gonna see people as property it's gonna mess your mind up do, are you talking about people now or are you talking about people who lived in that time? Both. Okay. Because when you're able to see slavery as, ah, it was just that bad thing that happened and you, you're you not trying to grasp the human depravity, you're not trying to actually grasp how gut-wrenching, how awful, how wicked, how evil it was, you were going to look at black people complaining today as ah get over it that same callousness 
that would be applied to people that were used as property, that callousness is going to show up when Breonna Taylor is killed the way she is. When George Floyd is killed the way he is, you're going to start researching for why they deserved it. That's where you're going to go. And that callousness was shown before you. It was mirrored before you. There were ancestors who modeled that before you. So if you're listening to this and I'm saying you, I'm saying anyone who is willing, right? Anyone who is willing to look at racial tension, specifically white supremacy against black people as, uh, I mean, it's bad, but, and then you have some excuse, you're playing right into the narrative of how this country was built. It's bad, but. I'm sure people thought it was bad, but we're, our economy's booming. It's bad, but, well, you know, we got free labor. It's bad, but look, we got food on the table. That, it's bad, but, it's bad, but you shouldn't be looting. It's bad, but that that narrative is literally echoing through our history's nation. It's bad, but, <laughs> right? And so what I'm saying is it's it's bad for the person today, just like it was bad for the person of yesterday who had the ability to exercise their bigotry in ungodly ways. Hmm. That's good. I mean, that's not good. That's awful. But it's good to be reminded that that's that that's reality. Hmm. I I just did a little bit of the math on my phone, and 1865 was six and a half generations ago from right now. That's six and a half generations from whenever Eden, our daughter, was born. It's five generations from when you and I are born. That's hmm. five generations of people. Hmm. That's not a lot. It's whenever not. you think about, I mean, I I there are four generations. My grandmother, my dad, me, and my daughter living mm. right now. That's four generations. Wow. I'm glad you put it that way. It feels like, especially for, again, for people like me who I I didn't grow up with a lot of black friends. Well, pretty much any black friends. Um, no black family members. I wasn't challenged to think about a lot of things actually in the... In the school that I grew up in, I went there at, at in this one school from kindergarten through eighth grade. It was a small private school, so it wasn't like a public school, but there was one biracial child there that entire time that I was there, and he was adopted by a white family. So there were no black parents of kids the entire time I was there, and then in my high school, it... it It was different um, because it was a public school, but even our small town was still kind of segregated. So anyways, all that I'm getting at is I was never really challenged to think like that. I was never really challenged to really do the math, which Austin, we're going to talk in our next podcast about what it was like for Austin growing up black in America. And on the next one, we're going to talk more in depth for me about what it was like growing up white in America and how... Those two experiences have changed the way that we think about racism and anti-racism right now and together as as a couple and as a family who's, you know, raising children who are biracial. Anyways, I kind of got off a little bit, but I just think it's so important to to think about these things in actual numbers, right? Mm. In actual numbers to make them more realistic for people like me who might have a harder time humanizing things because I was never challenged to, ever. Um, 
again, just to kind of go into a little a little history, um, <laughs> I don't know why. It, it doesn't make sense in my mind now, of course, but again, before I was really challenged to think about it, in my mind was, okay, slavery ended in 1865. That was over. And so why are we still talking about it? What What's happening? That Again, that was something that was in my mind. And it, it was almost like, I don't think that I would have ever said this out loud to anybody, but I very much in my heart played into the narrative of, can't we just get over this? Can't we just be done with it? Which again, that is valid if the human brain didn't have memory. Well, and if there weren't lasting implications that Exa- that still exist today because e- of slavery. Exactly, because of memory. <laughs> yeah. Because we can remember. That that's that's the thing. God created us to have memory. What if we woke up each day and it was totally new, totally fresh again? We had to learn everything over again. That would be terrifying. <laughs> I mean, would we even would we even be so like we sleep on how powerful memory is? <laughs> memory is why we can actually feel implication. Like you remember something that really good happened, that can affect you and your family generations to come. You remember something terrible and awful that happens, it can literally impact you, your family, people, generations to come. So if people say eighteen sixty five. Race your memory, black people. It's over now. It's over. Not the implications, right? And that's not even, we're not even talking about the active racism that kept going. The Jim Crow, mm-hmm. the lynchings, the birth of the KKK. We're not even talking about that. We're just saying from, let's just say racism actually stopped at 1865. There was still, just on that alone for those 200 years, there would be some real terrible racial tensions. Like, let's just say the KKK never existed. Jim Crow never existed. It all went back let's just even. Say, yeah, let's just say it went back to that 50-50 that we're always told about. Even playing field. I'm telling you now, the racial tensions would be bad. It would still be bad. Yeah. Because if I'm, if I'm poor and I'm black and I'm looking at a poor white person, I know our stories are not the same. Mm-hmm. Because that poor white person... If that person makes it to the top, there's not going to be people plotting to take them down because they're white. Mm. If I make it, I might lose my business. I might lose my family. I might lose my life just because someone thinks I should be property still. Mm. So it's not the same. There's similarities, but it's not the same fight. Right. It's also important to recognize that just like black people's minds didn't get erased, white people's didn't either. Mm. And racism has prevailed in fa- I mean even if let's let's say let's say that family members or that that people who had racist ideologies didn't have any power hmm. there is still the dehumanize it's still dehumanizing That's what right. what they think and and I mean, again, this is something that we're seeing. I mean, we we probably, every single person listening to this, whether you're down here in the South, in Tennessee, like we are living in a, like, a mile away from a Confederate battlefield, mm. or whether you're in the most progressive place in America and it just feels like, you know, this diverse utopia, <laughs> 
everyone knows someone, <laughs> everyone knows someone who you wouldn't want to bring around your black friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what kills me when I have, like, I see so many of my white friends and, like, family members that, like, I don't know about racism. I'm like, literally, if I came to if I came to your family reunion, dinner, yes, you would be sweating. Like, please don't say that. Please don't say something. Please, like, I know that. Like, we're not stupid. Like, don't, don't. Like, that's just so insulting to think. Like, oh yeah, you don't know one person who rests. Like, come on. And it's just, it's. I think recognizing that yeah. is half the battle in our hearts, at least. Yeah. Right is. So much of it. And again, we haven't even gotten into what happened after slavery, which was also not fair. So, I mean, it was it was 1963. Was it 63 when the Civil Rights, when the first Civil Rights Act got signed or 65? I thought four. Okay. Well, maybe I'm just wrong, but sometime between 1963 yeah, yeah, yeah. and Yeah, I thought it was four. Okay. But I could be wrong. So, okay. That was... See how many generations ago that was. Yeah. I mean, 1964, I, I'm pretty sure that's what we're looking this at. It's like two generations ago. Two generations, yeah. Two generations ago was the first time that you could even, like, attempt to make the argument. Attempt to make the argument. I didn't say it would be a good argument. I didn't say it would even be, like, logical <laughs> logical argument but that was the first time you could attempt to make an argument there there was any kind of legally even playing field so Austin and I bought our first home um in 2018 and it was downtown Nashville and we were in a space a neighborhood that had been redlined Austin can you explain a little bit what redlining is yeah i mean long story short it's basically the hoods the ghettos that we have um today were strategically marked in place so a lot of it had to do with like schooling too so mm -hmm. basically certain uh, parts of a city of a town or whatever would be circled and you would see how resources wouldn't be around that part uh, access to good schooling wouldn't be around that part. Uh, you might see like abortion clinics more prevalent around that part, liquor stores around that part. Like you, you'll start to realize, oh snap, <laughs> a lot of the hoods in the ghettos like, have the same formula. Right. You like you'll go around, you'll start seeing that like schools are looking really low. Which is why you can, you can recognize. Recognize so why? Why are they all the same or why are they yeah. similar? It's a lot of it had to do with redlining. They were created. Uh, essentially, and se it really sectioned off. Mm -hmm. um, white flight was a real scare. And that um, happened after after civil rights, Exactly. Right? This was, a, yeah, a lot of this was booming after civil rights, kind of in the midst after civil rights, because once integration was happening, where, oh, oh shoot, black people and white people can go to the same school, that really freaked people out, uh, white people out, especially in neighborhoods. They didn't want black people coming because the idea was, well, the more black people that come here, the less comfortable white people will be. That means the value of our houses will go down. That means that our schools will go to everything will diminish. Yeah. And so there was a white flight where you would actually that actually. Yeah, that happened to me moving to Blue Springs. We saw several houses go up um, when we moved in. We were like the only black people in our neighborhood. Like it was crazy. It was crazy. And people still and we saw it. People just leaving left and right. 
Um, and a lot of times it's out of fear. Yeah. So you can pretty much draw a, well, they did draw lines, but you can come to the logical conclusion um, whenever you look at the segregated neighborhoods that the red line neighborhoods were the neighborhoods that had been segregated for black families a few years ago. And so the thing is, is because of that, because though (laughs) there are plenty, and I'm sure we'll hear this, there are plenty of white people um, who are not necessarily financially thriving, right? Who would say like, no, I grew up poor. And so I don't have any white privilege um, who kind of use that argument. And again, that's something that we will definitely get to eventually. While that might be the case, black people in America did not have the opportunity. Most uh, 99% of black people in America, unless you had some kind of special connection or special ability, you, you didn't have the option to build wealth like white families had the option to. Even if not all white families did it, We still had the option to do these things. And we saw this really firsthand in the neighborhood that we lived in. Um, How those things are still affecting families today. How, how, I mean, there are people who are on our street who have lived in our neighborhood since, since civil rights. Our house was actually built before, 20 years before civil rights. It's, it's insane whenever you when especially again for me who didn't have to think about these things a lot it is it is very eye opening to exist in a space where that you know it comes to life it, it's and it's it's heartbreaking that you know the same place where i was living and sleeping every night was where a, fa- a segregated family was living and sleeping every night in 1942 when the house was built. Okay. We have really, (laughs) we've, we've gotten into racism in America, the history of it. Um, and we could go on for a long time. It's, it's 400 years of history. It's been at this point, 401 years since the first slave was brought to America. And there is a lot more talking about it that we could do. And like I said, we definitely will get to that in other in other episodes. But today we want to really make sure that we get to the point before we run out of time. So if racism is here and it, it feels hopeless at points, would you say that, Austin? Yeah. So then what is anti-racism? Anti-racism is being against white supremacy and understanding that because white supremacy is rampant in our society, even in what we might call minute ways, you know, I was dressing really nice the other day. Someone said I was dressing white. Mm. That's white supremacy. (laughs) Because the stereotype of white is nice. So I guess when I'm dressing black, uh oh, <laughs> see how that goes real fast. I mean, people tell me, oh, Austin, you're an Oreo. 
Black on the outside, white on the inside. That's white supremacy. The best part of me is the reflection of you. That's white supremacy. And you're doing it with a smile. You're trying to joke and you're laughing. You don't mean any harm. Mm. But you're propping up a stereotype that's not true. And I, I'm telling you, this is people in the church mm. saying this to me. Mm. So this is people that have Jesus. <laughs> so no telling people. I mean, I mean, come on. So that just proves we're all sinners, right? Christian or not, we're all broken. We all have learning to do. Um, so being anti-racist is saying, I'm not afraid to stand against white supremacy, any form of racism mm -hmm. or racial prejudice, like I said, right? So it might not just be white. And I'm not going to be passive or active in the racism. That's being anti. See, when you're passive, when you're a non-racist, oh, I'm not racist. Oh, that's my uncle over there. But you don't talk to your uncle about why he's wrong. Mm. You're being passive. Mm. And and that's not anti. That's nine. You you can wash your hands clean of any blood, or you think you can, while you still benefit off the privilege. But you're not being anti. You're not calling your uncle to a higher sense of love and a higher sense of responsibility. That's not only going to help black people around your uncle, but it's going to help your uncle's heart. <laughs> like, loving your neighbor is good for you. Hmm. Like, there's signs behind that. And like, good for your neighbor. <laughs> and good for your neighbor. I mean, there's signs behind that. Now, I don't think we should ought to do it just because it's good for us. Yeah. That's why we're Christians. I mean, if we just did what was good for us, we wouldn't be Christians. <laughs> I mean, seriously. So I'm not saying that should be the main motive. I'm just saying. We don't even realize how being non-racist is toxic to your uncle who might be racist mm. and needs love and needs help and needs direction. So that's what I believe. Again, this ain't textbook, but this is what I think about. This is how I process it. And I never want to sound like I have it all figured out. So my definitions are usually moving and fluid because I learn different things and new things come to my attention and new things to process and new things to consider, new things to research. Mm. So this is where I'm at right now. That's a great point, Austin. And in that, and how our definitions learn, or how our definitions change as we learn and grow, I used to think about racism as slavery. So slavery was my definition of racism. If you own another person, then that's racist. And so I that made sense that I thought that racism was, was gone. Dead. Yeah, there's yeah. no more owning. Yes. Yeah. And then even I whenever I learned about, you know, segregation and that kind of discrimination is Oh, okay, so that's racism. Mm. Okay, so if we're not segregating, now black people have all the same opportunities as white people, so mm. racism is gone. Yes. But I is. didn't realize until I did, and hey, on me, right? Yeah. That racism, whenever I define racism as slavery and segregation, like how messed up is that? Mm. How much racism am I looking over mm. in order to define it in such a way that makes me feel comfortable? Because if I don't own slaves, if I didn't do that, and if I'm not segregating, if I'm not telling black people, you stay over here and I'll stay over here, then I'm not racist. Okay, so now I don't have to feel any guilt over that. Mm. I don't have to feel any whatever. And again, that's getting, I, getting into white guilt a little bit, which it, again, will... We'll have more conversations yeah, about. Yeah. 
but I don't have to feel bad or I don't have to feel, I guess, responsibility. responsibility. That's, responsibility that's the word. Is the word. Yeah. You don't have to feel responsible, mm-hmm. you know, to your black brown neighbor, image bearer guy. You don't feel a tie to them for racial relations because yeah. you didn't do it. So in that and knowing that, thinking about that, being anti-racist, just like you said, has to be being anti all forms of racism. All being forms. anti the giant, blaringly obvious forms of racism and the subtle little microaggressions that might happen. Um, and and teaching people about those things and doing it in a way that is is loving, I, I think is really important to us. Hmm. Really important for us. So, Austin, I want to pick up on something that you just said. You said that... If you're not anti-racist, then you're just non-racist. Okay, so this is actually a question that a friend asked me, so I want to hear your answer. If you're not anti-racist and you're just, you know, non-racist or passive to racism, does that make you racist? Okay, you've heard the quote, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Mm -hmm. Yes, technically there is no non-racist, but I'm willing to meet you there. And I'm willing to use that terminology because there might be some pure ignorance. There might be some um, lack of education. So I'm willing to say there is a non-racist category for people who are ignorant, who don't know. But let's be real. If you're being brought information, if you have black brothers and sisters, friends, family members that don't sound like you, and they're telling you this is real and I need help or this is real, please pray for me. I need this is real. Please consider this. And you're just throwing it to the side, you are no longer not racist. Mm-hmm. You are actively helping. Because you're ma- you're literally the institutions that were built here, you're making them proud. Like that's what I tell people, like I have friends who let me do like one of my good friends, like Taylor, like he let me do a Zoom call for anybody who wanted to listen after George Floyd about racism. He gave me a microphone. Do you know how that would have pissed so many people off? Like white people that a black man had a microphone to speak about his plight. Mm -hmm. You know how many people like ancestors would be like would have killed me for that. Mm -hmm. For speaking up and just saying like what I'm experiencing. I could I could have lost my life in a generation or let's stop saying generation. We have hangings in this generation. Yeah. There are places I was told in college in 2012. Hey, bro. Don't go to this county in Kentucky at night. Mm -hmm. I already know some of my friends, if they drink too much, you don't need to be there. That was 2012 in Kentucky. So, I mean, my friend Taylor giving me the mic and being able to speak, muting everybody else and letting me speak, that's changing the course of history. History, The history books, the 400 years says you don't do that. You don't let them speak. You don't let them talk out of turn. So to let someone do that and encourage them and love them through it in hopes of making us all better. That was the hope. He wasn't like, white people feel bad now. Boom. It was like, let's do better. Let's all love each other deeper. Let's go to a level we ain't been before. And when you do that and you let black people lead the charge, there's something special that will happen because you're tearing down walls that were built up for centuries. That's good. And guys, as you listen to these conversations, one thing that I hope you notice and I hope that I that I do a good job at is asking more questions than answering. Hmm. Because 
I hear a lot from different people, oh, I have this black family member, so I'm good. I'm not racist. Or, oh, I have a black friend, and so I understand. Or, I love them, and so I can't possibly be racist. Y'all, I wish that I could say that I was there. I wish I... The person that I love most in this world is a black man, and I am not there. And I want to be really desperately. And so that's why I think it's so important that we have these conversations, first and foremost, in our homes. And that's why we're doing this podcast. That's why we're having these conversations, is we really believe that that first, the work has to happen in our own hearts. And then the next place that it has to go is is in the place and with the people that we love. And so I hope that my prayer for this specific podcast is that one, that I can become a better advocate and ally for my husband and my children. And two, that we can, as, as our own individual family unit, and then all the people who are out there, whether your family looks like ours, whether it's you by yourself and whenever you're thinking about your family, you're thinking about your parents or your grandparents, whether you're raising small children, adult children that you're interacting with, whatever your family looks like, that these are conversations that can happen, that that whenever one of your friends wants to talk and wants to speak about something that is hurting them, one of your one of your black friends specifically, that you will give them the mic and that you, and I'm I'm talking specifically to our white li- listeners, that you will allow that and that for a few minutes and I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's hard because I've been there and because I'm still there at times more times than I than I'm even want to admit. But that even though it might be uncomfortable, even though you might have a rebuttal, that you wouldn't think about it as a rebuttal, that you would allow someone to speak, and that through that, through that heart work, that we can all, as, as our own individual units, go out and, you know, make this world a better place. It, the way that we think about that isn't just making the world a better place. But we believe that whenever eternity comes, Jesus, who died on the cross and was raised from the dead for our sins, is going to come back and that he's going to make this world new for his children. And we believe that just as um, John said in Revelation, that there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he saw those people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Therefore, they looked different. He could tell that they were from different places, different nations, different places on earth and we want on earth as it is in heaven we want to love one another right here as close as we can to eternity not just wait for that day but but pursue it right here and right now and that's what we want to do in this podcast amen well thank you guys for listening to our first episode we have a couple of more episodes out right now for you to listen to we have one about Austin's story about growing up black in America and then my story about growing up white in America and how those experiences have 
changed the way and, and affected the way that we want to raise our own children here in this context and in this time. Well, guys, if you will go ahead and subscribe and please leave a rating and review. Like I said, we would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, if you have things that you disagree with, we are happy to have conversations. You can reach out to us on social media. You can also go to my website. It's www.laurengroves.me and there's a contact form. If you want to do an email, you're welcome to do that. Um, you can just fill out that contact form and it'll send me an email and we would love to chat with you guys more about this. Seriously, I can't say it enough. People always used to tell me social media is so stupid. Why do you get on it? And you know, that's not a real, that's not a real field. Please listen to me. Listen to me. Conversations on social media are still between image bearers of a holy God. Mm. That doesn't change just because you're doing it through Facebook versus a text versus a phone call. And I get it. I get it. I love eye contact. I love being a person. If we can meet for coffee, guess what? We can set that up over social media. Mm -hmm. So instead of bashing social media, saying, how is this really helping? Let's look how it is. And let's try to use it in a way that will be helpful um, to serve each other and to, to go to deeper love. Sacrifice. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. And we will chat with you next time. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to Grace and Race. We hope you enjoyed our conversation and also took away some points so that you too can better commit to practicing anti-racism in your own family and community. If you want to stay updated on episodes and join further conversations, head to laurengroves.me backslash join our list. That's laurengroves.me backslash join our list to join our email list. You can also follow us on Instagram at Lauren, two underscores, Groves, or Groves8070 to stay updated with our family and join conversations on our public platforms. Thanks for listening. We'll chat with you again soon.